0: It's That's right boys, Mondo Cool. This year marks the 20th anniversary of Sonic the Hedgehog, a worldwide
1: famous phenomenal character spanning video games, Saturday morning cartoons, and comic books. Now, This is my first exposure to the Archie comic, which I believe has been running since 1993. And for their part in Sonic's 20th celebr For their part in Sonic's 20th anniversary celebration, they brought us this four-part Sonic Genesis mini series, which is absolutely phenomenal. I had a really good time reading through this. As I said, this is my first time being exposed to the Sonic the Hedgehog comic books. I had a blast reading through them. Now, if you look at it, the artwork is actually really interesting. I had a lot of fun just flipping through these and looking at the artwork when I first got a hold of them. Very reminiscent of the early Genesis games as they go through wonderful locations like Marble Zone. Check out this artwork. Shit is freaking... This is really good stuff. Now, as someone that was new to the series, this was an excellent place to hop right in. I got introduced to the characters as they exist in the comic book universe, which was very cool and it was a place in the story that was easy to jump into although reading through the four-part miniseries they mentioned things that happened in the issue before the first part that made me want to go back and buy that issue and see what led into this four-part miniseries which I'm sure in Will make me want to buy, you know, a few issues before that to see how it actually does build into it. And when I, by the time I got done with the fourth issue, the story wraps up and is well paced. But there's things that they're going to have to resolve in follow-up issues that I'd like to see. I actually am considering subscribing to this magazine so that I don't have to hunt it down on ebay or run up to the comic book store, which I, I don't mind running up to the comic book store, but I, I like to subscribe to things that are cool. But a lot of this sequential art is really well drawn, nicely colored, albeit a little questionable. <laughs> The most interesting part of this uh, four-part series, for me, are the covers. The covers to these are very obviously reminiscent of the Sega Genesis or Mega Drive games, which I think add to their collectability. I mean, look at those. Those are something that I'd like to keep bagged and boarded, and maybe even display on the wall. Maybe frame them and hang them up. Because that is some nice artwork, especially this one. This is my favorite cover, the one for Sonic uh, Genesis Part 2. Very, very beautiful artwork, very reminiscent of Sonic the Hedgehog 2, something that I think is absolutely wonderful. The story, I thought, started out a little slow-paced in the first issue, but by the time I got through the entire series, I think that it was very well-paced. And, as I said, this is my first real exposure into the deeper mythos of the Sonic the Hedgehog series, and I enjoyed it. Uh, for me, my basic only exposure to the series is the Genesis games, which I didn't really know the story to, you know? They're just games that I put in my Genesis and had a little bit of fun with back in the day, and... Uh, never really put too much thought into what's happening and why you're just running to the right getting rings and chaos emeralds and trying to uh, throw a hedgehog at an angry dude that likes robot animals so this is my first real experience with uh... you know the deeper sonic the hedgehog characters and seeing them interact as characters and it was an overall very uh good experience. I enjoyed reading through these, and I will definitely be checking out issues 230 to see what happens after the conclusion. Because There's going to be some aftermath, and I'd like to check it out. But really, this artwork is very colorful and bright, very enjoyable. As a collector's item for just the covers, I would say these are very much worth owning. But if you're like me and this is your first exposure to the Sonic the Hedgehog uh, universe, go ahead and pick it up
0: and start reading them and see what you think.
1: Arcade Legacy is an arcade on the outskirts of Cincinnati, Ohio. When I first got down there, I was very pleased to find out that the front part of the store sold, bought, and traded used video games, which is very neat. So I got a little bit of a surprise and spent some time rummaging through the used games and picked up a couple of items I was looking for. I picked up a copy of Earthworm Jim for the Super Famicom, which was surprising to see so many Super Famicom games, probably 15 to 20 at least, which is the most I've seen in person at a used game store, which, you know, your mileage may vary depending on where you're from, but out here in Ohio, I was kind of surprised to see like, so many Japanese games. There's a fair number of PS1 and PS2 games. Um, I saw a couple of Sega CD games. There's some Sega Saturn up, So there's a decent selection. A lot of the uh, better, more in-demand, high-price items were behind the counter. Now, one of the cool things about this place, all the games that they have for sale, you can go and play on the consoles that he has set up. And a little, there's a little room with a bunch of TVs and system. So you can sit down and play any of these games. You know, if you want to test it out before you buy it, or if you just want to come in and check out some games and play you can uh, go over and sit down and have fun playing some console games, which is very, very cool. I enjoyed uh, the idea of that. I did not partake. I uh, ended up buying the two games that I saw, because they were very reasonably priced. and. Uh, so I, I snapped those up cause I happened to have been in the market for Jim 1 and 2. There's also a very large selection of CDs and DVDs, Blu-rays, HD DVDs, that sort of thing. A lot of places that deal in used games also deal in other forms of used media, such as CDs, DVDs, etc, etc. So there's quite a bit of stuff to look through if you enjoy movies, which is, again, a nice little treat. I was expecting just an arcade, but I also got a used game store that will gladly let you try before you buy, which is very cool. When I did purchase uh, the Super Famicom game, he made sure that I was able to play it. He asked if I had a Super Famicom, I was like, whoa, I'm Jerry Terrifying, dude. I know all about uh, wanting a Super Nintendo to play Super Famicom games. So, uh, it it was appreciated, though, that he made sure I could use the item I was buying, because it was an import item, so that was something that uh, earned high marks from me. that's something i appreciate This is the area where you can sit down and try out some games. There's a bunch of consoles sitting out N64, Saturn, PS3s. Pretty much, you know, the main things that someone would want to sit down and play are located here for you to uh, throw some games at and have a good time. Now, the pricing scheme this is a modern arcade, so instead of having to chuck quarters into the arcade cabinets, all the games are set on free play. When you first walk in, the owner is behind the counter and you, you pay a small fee, I believe, I'm going off my memory here, it's like five bucks for an hour, eight dollars for two hours, or ten dollars for an all day long pass. So when you go in and pay, he gives you a business card and he marks down uh, the amount of time you've bought. And your fifth visit is free, I believe. Or it may be five visits. Yeah, after your fifth visit, your sixth visit is free. So that is also very, very cool. Uh, I've got my little business card here. You put a stamp on the back and a date. And uh, pretty cool that, you know, if you're a frequent customer, you get um, little benefits like that. Plus, $10 for an all-day pass is uh, very reasonable. If these games were set at a quarter uh, play in less than two hours, I would have burnt through a whole hell of a lot more than $10 worth of quarters. Um, I would guesstimate there's maybe 30 to 40 machines sitting around. Some of the things that caught my attention, X-Men Arcade has a six-player cab, TMNT Arcade has the four-player cab. There's a Bomberman game. That that was pretty sweet. It's got a couple of Neo Geo's sitting out. Had Metal Slug 4 running on on it. Uh, Alien vs. Predator. That was awesome. That was the first time I ever played the arcade version of that. That was a really uh, fun experience. Something I've been craving for months now, light gun games. I don't think I show any footage of this uh, brief walkthrough. But there were a couple of light gun games that I, I put some time into. Like here, Area 51 for example. Had a little bit of fun playing that. Um, the other one I was playing, I think it was a Namco game. and uh, It had ninjas and you were shooting the ninjas. But the gun you were using, the slide on the gun would slide back every time you fired. And uh, I thought that was pretty sweet. There's plenty of classic games. The very first thing I ran to was Galaga. I used to play Galaga at this laundromat here in town when I was real, real little. And I I love Galaga. I love uh, Galaga 88 on the TurboGrafx-16. I play the heck out of uh, Galaga on my Atari 7800. I'm a big Galaga fan. So it's cool to see that there's a very nice combination between the classics, you know, Miss Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, Galaga, along with things from the, you know, 90s. Things like uh, X-Men Arcade, TMNT, Alien vs. Predator, Uh, I believe there's a Marvel vs. Capcom cabinet floating around in there too. Now, against the far wall, which we're about to see here in just a few seconds, um, he has an area set up for projectors. So there were a couple of kids in there, and they were playing Rock Band, on the three sixty and it was projected against the wall. There are tournaments. Occasionally I've uh, I've noticed on their website that they have windjammer tournaments. If you don't know what wind jammers is, you need to check that game out. It's one of the best Neo Geo games ever made. It's like intense nineties Frisbee. Like everything's neon pink and green and blue, you know, those real ugly 90s colors and you've got these intense beach people playing super frisbee. So I've noticed on the website that they've mentioned they have Windjammer tournaments which if I had the AES card, I would beef up my Windjammers game and go down there and get in on that. Um, that was something that I thought was very cool. Uh, be sure to check out his website in the description of this video. I will have a link to Arcade Legacy so you can check it out. The last thing, I, I don't know why I didn't, but I noticed there's maybe four or five pinball machines, and one of them is Doctor Who. I didn't even notice while I was editing this video that there was a Doctor Who pinball machine. So I'm definitely going back to get in on that Doctor Who pinball machine, because I recently went through all of Doctor Who that's available on Netflix, all of them, all the Doctors that they have on Netflix. and. Uh, had an absolute blast watching that show, so I'm really bummed that I didn't throw some quarters at this Doctor Who cabinet. But, that's Arcade Legacy. If you're in the Cincinnati, Dayton, or Columbus area, highly recommend it. Number 10 on the top 10 console countdown of all time, the Sony PlayStation 3. That's right, I know this was going to be an upsetting choice, but hear me out. Specifically, the 60 gigabyte PS3 is on this list. Back when the Sony PlayStation 3 originally launched, the marketing term, it only does everything, was actually accurate. Not only was it a machine that played your PlayStation, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3 games, it also played CD, Super Audio CD, Blu-ray, DVD. You also had the option of installing an alternate operating system in the form of Linux, which is something I actually did and I did toy around with back when I first bought my PlayStation 2 in early 2007. So it was kind of disheartening to see that as the PS3 was too expensive for the time, They started removing features, like PlayStation 2 backwards compatibility, and eventually Linux support was removed altogether as well. So now the PS3s, the slims, the 80 gigs, and so on have significantly reduced functionality, which is kind of a shame. So for the purpose of this list, the 60 gigabyte PlayStation 3 is, in my opinion, the second greatest console of all time, as it really does a lot. Being able to play 15 years' worth of video games on one machine is very, very convenient. Here on the front of the console you can see the four USB ports, which again, the current Slim PS2s have removed those. There were also various card readers for Memory Stick, SD, and compact flash, which was kinda cool, and something that I actually did use myself. Ultimately, the PS3 is still a very powerful multimedia machine, being able to handle many different formats of audio and video, being able to stream things off of its easily upgradable hard drive. There are just so many features for this console that are hard to ignore. While the early days of the console's history were riddled with poor marketing and bad decisions from Sony, ultimately ending up in the removal of some of its best features, I mean, really, what other console out-of-the-box allowed you to install an alternate operating system to give you full PC functionality? Come on, that's crazy. Personally, I'm bombed that should anything happen to my current 60 gig model i won't be able to go out and replace it with a machine that has the same amount of functionality it's really disheartening to see that something is important to me is the backwards compatibility being removed just you know they've established a history of supporting their previous generation games With the PS2 you could play PS1 games, the PS3 originally you could play PS1 and PS2 games. And then a year or two later down the line they removed that, so that's kind of a bummer. Ultimately, one of my all-time favorite consoles just has to be the PlayStation 3. My 60 gig model. Because I can throw any of my Metal Gear Solid games, one through four, and play it on one machine. Which is pretty cool and for the system itself it's actually built up quite an impressive library of HD games that should not be missed from Demon's Souls to Metal Gear Solid 4 to the God of War games. There's a lot here to experience.
0: Gundam the 8th MS Team is an OVA series similar to 0080 War in the Pocket, in that it takes place during the events of the original Mobile of Gundam. This one, however, taking place across the entire war up until the last couple of weeks. Also, unlike War in the Pocket, which was 6 episodes, 8th MS Team is 12. An interesting aspect about the 8th MS Team is that it takes place pretty much in the perspective of a normal soldier in the Earth Federation during the actual war. Because of this, there's no mention of new types, and there's only one space battle which occurs in the first episode, while the rest of the series is mainly jungle and guerrilla warfare style fighting, which is very unique to Gundam in general. The animation in the 8th MS team is great. There's plenty of detail and fluidity, In both the environments and the characters. The mobile suits especially have a very heavy look feel to them in this series, which fits the mood of the show. A lot of the environments in the series are mostly jungle and there's an incredible amount of detail that goes into these shots. Similar to 0080 War in the Pocket, this is an OVA series, this one lasting up to 12 episodes like I said before, and is understandable as to why the animation is so good this show was stretched out to the length of an average series, which usually ranged between 24 26 episodes on average, I'm sure the animation would have suffered, but luckily this short length of the show inspired higher quality animation. The overall art direction in particular I believe should get special noticed, because despite the show basically being centered around giant robots, it still has a very War Story-like feel to it because of how gritty everything looks. The music and sound effects in this anime were also quite good. It's very important in this type of show to get the sound effects just right in order to get the look and feel of the show to translate well, and the series does a good job of this. Whenever a battle occurs, the sound effects greatly enhance the experience. The music was also quite good in matching the tone of certain scenes and fitting the overall mood and atmosphere of the show. The voice acting in my opinion was also quite good. The English dub was pretty good. The cast certainly did a good job of putting each character as they should. Now the show stars mainly Shiro Amada. He's an Earth Federation soldier who was turned into the captain of the 8th MS team. The story mainly focuses on him, his team, a village girl named Kiki, and Aina Sahalin, who is a Zeon soldier. Shiro and Aina meet in the first episode, due to certain circumstances. Despite being on opposite sides of the battle, they end up caring for each other. This carries a certain Romeo and Juliet vibe to it, but it's not handled in the same way, which I believe serves to strengthen the series, because it doesn't feel derivative because of it. Other than the romance between the two characters, the majority of the show is basically following the exploits of the 8th MS team, their trials and tribulations as Earth Federation soldiers fighting a war against Zeon. Of course, there's more to it than that. Aina has a brother named Guineas, who is a rear admiral for the Zeon, and he's working on an incredible mobile suit capable of piercing a hole into a mountain with its laser technology. This adds a nice dynamic in the story, since it's not only Aina that's part of Xeon, but her brother as well. Shiro himself, as a character, serves as a good protagonist. He's a clever person who comes up with interesting plans during missions, which is more often than not the defining reason as to why this team scrapes by the way they do. The rest of the team is interesting as well. Each of them have their own backstory, however, since it is only 12 episodes, it isn't as delved into as quite as much as I would have liked, but they're still interesting enough regardless. Overall, the plot and characters do a good job of keeping your interest, however, I have to say that since the director unfortunately died at some point during the production of this series, it negatively affected the last two episodes especially for this series. Unfortunately, the last two episodes could have been handled better, and it keeps the show from being as good as it could have been. I'm actually going to go as far as to say as to not watch the last episode at all. The entire episode is really just filler and doesn't need to be watched, except for the last minute or two. However, don't let this deter you from watching the series, because the overall show is quite good. In the end, 8th MS Team is a good but not great series, it's certainly well-made and has high production values, good music, good dub, great fight scenes, and an interesting cast of characters. It also helps that despite being part of the Universal Century timeline, it isn't really required to have watched the original show, nor is it necessary to watch this show in order to enjoy another series, which were all pluses. However, the last two episodes keep it from real greatness, unfortunately. Still, like I said before, don't let that scare you from watching this series, because it is an overall positive experience, and it does deserve to be watched. Anyway, this has been Shintai, everyone. Take it easy.